This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. There is a, a, an elephant in the room. Have you noticed the massive big screen that we've now got in this church? It is a thing of beauty and it makes me as a designer very, very happy. I just want to take an opportunity to congratulate and say thank you to everybody who was involved in putting that up. It's Erlen, it's Corne, it's Claire, it's Ashley, it's Steve Onions, Kevin who, who helped make the, make the actual frame, Carl and Dan were here to put it up, and then um, Lisa and Dorian. Lisa sewed this beautiful thing up together for us. Uh, it just looks wonderful. Can we, can we just give them a hand? Yeah, we are going big in this church. Okay, so I, uh, I'm very excited this morning to, to share with you all, but I just want to pray for us quickly. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for, for your wonderful presence this morning, Lord. What an honor to come in um, into worship, just to, just to come into the throne with you unhindered, Father God, and just experience your fullness. Thank you, Jesus, that your spirit is here, and Lord, we ask that you do not leave. Father, we ask that you stay right now and you continue to, to work and to minister and to teach us through your holy word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, cool. Two prawns were swimming around in the sea one day. The first one was called Justin and the second one was called Christian. They were continually being chased and threatened by the sharks that inhabited the area. Eventually, Justin had had enough. He said to Christian, I'm fed up with being a prawn. I wish I was a shark. And then I wouldn't have to worry about being eaten all the time. As he said this, a large mysterious cod appeared and said, Your wish is granted. And believe it or not, with that, Justin turned into a fearsome shark. Christian was horrified and so immediately swam away as he was scared of being eaten by his old friend. As time went by, Justin found his new life as a shark to be boring and lonely. None of his old friends would get near him as they thought he would eat them. So they swam away whenever he approached. It took a while. But eventually Justin realized that his menacing appearance was the cause of his sad plight. Then one day he was swimming all alone as usual when he saw the mysterious cod again. He thought it would be better if he could go back to his old life. So he swam to the cod and he begged to be changed back. The cod worked his magic and suddenly Justin was a prawn once more. With tears of joy streaming down his cheeks, Justin swam straight to Christian's home. As he opened the coral gate, happy memories came flooding back. He banged on the door and shouted, Christian, it's me, Justin, your old friend. Come out and see me again. Christian replied, no way, you're a shark now, and you'll just eat me. I'm not being tricked into being your dinner. Justin shouted back, no, I'm not a shark anymore. That was the old me. I've changed. I've found cod. I'm a prawn again, Christian. This morning, um, this morning I want to speak about the cross. And... Um, I want to speak about the road to the cross, which I think for, for a vast majority of us here is something that we're familiar with. We've all been on a journey towards the cross, and, and we've found ourselves here as a result. But further to that, I want to speak about the road from the cross, which may not be something that we're actually so familiar with. So let's start at the very best, very best place to start, which is in the beginning. And I know many of us will know this, but uh, I want to just give you the story of the cross in, in a nutshell, a summary of it, so that we all, we all start this morning on the same page. 
So Satan came to Eve in the form of a serpent and deceived her into disobeying God and eating from the fruit, eating the fruit from the tree. Adam followed suit, and in doing so, he made Satan his Lord. So in bowing the knee to Satan, Adam turned over the authority that God had given him, and he gave it to Satan. So he made Satan the illegitimate ruler of the earth. Okay? We agree. So from that day on, everything changed. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. So the earth and everything in it was suddenly cursed, and man was separated from God by sin. But God had a plan. As dismal as that part of it sounds, God had a plan. His plan of redemption was the same as it was for Abel, same as it was for Noah and Moses and Abraham. It would be through the shedding of blood. But such a great redemption for all mankind and for all eternity couldn't be just done with a, a mere ram or, or a goat. It had to be something bigger. For all man, for all eternity, God chose his son Jesus to come and die on the cross for us. And the greatest thing that the blood of Jesus accomplishes is that it washes us completely clean. We're pure as snow. And from the minute we receive Jesus as the Lord of our life, God forgets every past sin of our life. He wipes it clean. He wipes our slate clean. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus is. And the best part is that you don't have to earn it. You don't have to pay for it. In fact, even if you tried, you, you wouldn't be able to. We cannot earn what Jesus did for us on the cross. And the best thing we can do is joyfully accept this gift. So Adam's sin gave Satan the authority over the life of man. But because of the power of the blood of Jesus, the moment we make Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives, we get redeemed from that curse, and we put God back in his rightful place as the authority of our lives. Okay, do we get that? Do we understand that? Adam's sin gave Satan the authority over our lives, over the whole life of man, and because of the blood of Jesus, the moment we accept what he did on the cross, we turn the tables and we put Jesus back in his place as authority over our lives. So what is the curse? The curse is death, it's sin, it's sickness, it's disease, it's poverty, it's lack, it's depression, it's addiction, it's fear, it's broken relationships. It's anything bad that you can think of. That is the curse that was placed over our lives. That's good news, though, that all of that gets wiped away when we simply come to the cross freely and accept the gift that gets given to us. But I've got to ask then, after such a wonderful story, why do we, as born-again believers who found God, why do we experience death, sin, sickness, disease, poverty, lack, depression, addiction, fear, and broken relationships? If we have submitted ourselves to God, surely the curse has been broken and He now has authority over our lives. So why do we 
Why does that happen? Why do, why do believers still experience all those things? I believe it's because we don't get it. We don't fully get it. We don't understand what actually happened at the cross. So I gave you a very brief overview of, of, of kind of the road to the cross, but I, I want to dumb it down even further. I want, to, I want to simplify it and distill it down to something as basic as the ABCs. So this, uh, let's start on, on the left here. So A is man. A is man in, in, in all his sinfulness. But God had a plan where he wanted to redeem everyone back to himself. He wanted to redeem all of mankind back to himself. And the, the bridge, the vessel, the vehicle in which to do that was Jesus. Amen? Now let's create an equation out of this. So what I believe is that a lot of us think that, that this is what the equation look like, looks like. We take man and all his sin, we include Jesus into the equation, who is the one who came to take away the sins of the world. So we subtract Jesus, the one who came to take away the sins of the world, and we end up with God's redemptive plan, and we're all redeemed, the whole of mankind is redeemed back to him. It's a pretty good equation. I'd say that's pretty spot on, eh? But you can hear something in my voice that it's not quite right, eh? I gave it away. It's certainly not wrong to think that, and I believe that is true. God came into, Jesus came into this world, he sacrificed himself on the cross so that our sins could be removed. Our sins could be taken away. The sin of man could be taken away. And the end result is great. We are redeemed back to God the way, he, the way he wanted it, the way he planned it. But this is what I believe God's equation really looked like. He took the sin of man and he added Jesus to us. What do we do? We leave the... We leave the cross out of the equation sometimes. Jesus came and he died on the cross, and because of that, we are redeemed back to God. And in the, in the cross, all sin is taken away. All shame is taken away. We are renewed. We are made new. The equation still remains. But Jesus comes in and he adds. He doesn't only take away. If we think that the, 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 the equation is subtraction only, we've only got it half right. Jesus came to add to our lives. What that means, though, what, what I'm trying to get at is that we come to the cross of Christ and we come to Jesus and we, we think about the plan as something that Jesus only died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. That's all he did, to take it away. But instead he came to add to our lives. He came to empower us. He gave us victory that we could overcome. Not just taken away. And we get stuck there. I believe many of us think that the cross is the end of the road. But it is not. It's just the beginning. The cross is not the end of the road. It is just the beginning. I don't believe that the cross is meant to be a place where we come only for forgiveness of sins then it's a dead end. And while it certainly is that, the cross is most definitely 
a place where we come for forgiveness of sins. And please, just a warning about this message, don't just listen to the whole thing, please. Don't, don't pull things out um, in isolation because, sure, okay, that can get very dangerous. The cross is most certainly a place where we come for forgiveness of sins, but it's more than that. But it's more than that. It also empowers us to live a victorious life. It puts us on a road beyond the cross. When we come to the cross, we get to walk through. We get empowered to keep going, to keep going with the victory. And how does Jesus do that? How does he put us on a new path? He starts with a new birth. We get birthed again as new creations when we come to the cross. Let's look at John 1 verse 12. But all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And there are a couple words in that first verse that, that piqued my interest. He gave the right. All those who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Why does that verse not say... All who believed in him and accepted him became children of God. Why does it say he gave the right to become children of God? The fact that he gave us the right to become children of God implies that we still have an opportunity to exercise that right. As an attendee of this church, when you come in, you have the right to sit in any open seat. You can still choose not to exercise that right and stand at the back. It doesn't change the fact that you still have the right to do so. Now, I'm no legal eagle, and I'm fairly sure I'm in pretty good company, but everyone here will know about a particular legal contract known as a will. You know, the last will and testament. So in layman's terms, because it's really all I have here, um, a will is a legal document that gets drawn up when someone is alive, and it basically states how the individual's properties, assets and possessions and everything will get divided up upon his death. So, you know, child one gets the beach house and uh, child two gets the Lamborghini. The toaster goes to the wife. Don't worry, it's one of those smeg ones. She'll like it. Now, God had a will too. And his will was for all of mankind to receive his full inheritance. But in order for a will to come into effect, there needs to be a death. A death needs to occur. So God sent his son to die so that his will for mankind could be fulfilled. I believe when, when we believe and accept him, our names get added to the will. So changes from mankind shall receive my full inheritance to Jean-Pierre Godot shall receive my full inheritance. Sonica will receive my full inheritance. Janice will receive my full inheritance. And I believe when we come to the cross of Christ, we get the right to become children of God. I believe when we come to the cross of Christ that God holds out this contract. And he gives us a pen and he says, this is my will for your life. Won't you sign it? And those who do, back to verse 13, they are reborn. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. 
Now, each of you have walked this cross to the road, will we'll have come, uh, walked this road to the cross, um, will have come to this point and it probably happened in the front of a church or at a um, men's camp or ladies' retreat or, or something like that. We would have come and we would have given our lives to the Lord. And at that moment, we become reborn. It's not a physical thing. Okay? It's not a thing from human passion or plan. Praise the Lord, we don't have human passion happening here in front and birth coming from that. Probably be a very popular church for all the wrong reasons. And also, there's no planning. Okay? A grown man and woman cannot be reborn in the natural. Cannot happen. Okay? No mother is happier about that fact than Rion's mom. Okay? We cannot crawl back into our mother's rooms and be reborn here in France. No. This is a birth that comes from God. Is God a natural being? No. He's a spiritual being. So we are not reborn on this earth. We are reborn into a spiritual realm. And at that moment, kingdoms collide. We don't see anything really happening here. Uh, there's no fanfare, there's no real ceremony. We often will applaud and celebrate with the people when they come forward and give their life to the Lord, but there's nothing happening here. But there is so much happening in the Spirit. Kingdoms are colliding. A transaction is taking place. Dominion, authority, is what Satan had over our lives. We've been cursed, but when we come here, something happens in the Spirit. There's a transfer of ownership. And the kingdom of light takes control again over the kingdom of darkness, the way it was always attended. Over the past five, uh, five or six years, we've, we've seen a bit of a baby boom in church, and uh, my wife and I are part of the baby boomers. Um, we've got uh, two daughters, five years and, and three years. And one year after they were each born, were they still newborns? No. Peter, I'm glad you're so confident about that. Six months, one week, whatever, they are not newborns anymore. When you see them today, they are not only a year old, they're five years old and three years old. They have grown. When something is birthed in the natural, it grows in the natural. And I think it wouldn't be a stretch to apply that same principle to the spiritual realm. When something is birthed in the spirit, it grows in the spirit. So I think a pretty good measure of if, we're, if we've grasped it, if we've fully grasped the equation of God, is if we are growing in our identities. If we have signed that will, if we know that, that this is who we are, that this is who God has destined us to be, are we growing in that? Because we've re been reborn into it. This is our new identities. So a very good measure is to look inside and say, are we growing? Are we growing in the Spirit? And it's tricky because when we come to the cross, because it's a natural act, because we surrender in the natural, we often grow in the natural. So we will start going to church more regularly. We'll start reading the Bible more. We'll start praying. Um, we'll start fellowshipping with other believers. And as a result, we, we become better people. But I, I believe there's something more to it. There's something in the Spirit that happens. There's, there's spiritual growth that we need to see happening. And I think we can do all this stuff in the natural and still not grow in the spirit. I, have, um, I gave my life to the Lord when I was, uh, I think it was the end of, end of primary school sometime. Lost my way until I found my wife and I found God again. 
And in, so in that time, that's about 10 years, 11, 10, 11 years ago. So I've been serving the Lord faithfully for that time. But it's only recently, and I grew, grew as a person, I became a better person, started praying more. I mean, I've grown, grown in the spirit too. But I didn't grow in my identity. I did grow in my identity a bit. But recently, and I think I've shared this story already, um, at this year's men's camp, we had a meeting before. I'll, I'll just be brief about it. And um, we prayed, prayed for one of the guys. And I came and put my hand on his back. And he, he didn't know who it was. He had his eyes closed. And afterwards, he saw skinny old me walking away. Um, and he was like, was that you? Did you come and pray for me? I said, yeah, it was me. And then he said, I thought it was Rion. But it, it was too small for Rion. The guy felt too small for Rion. That's a big guy, okay? And he said to me, this is how, the way that he experienced, he experienced me as a spiritual giant. And that was a massive thing for me. It just shifted something on the inside of me. And I realized that that's the way that God sees me. And I, I don't think this is a particularly unique thing for me. I think he, he sees us all as spiritual giants. People with authority. Massive people in the spirit. But it took me a while to get that. And since I've received that revelation, I've had a, I've had a massive year of growth. Stephen, Stephen mentioned it as well. You know, look, we've come against trials, and, and that's also, that's just helped everything. But I, I've just understood. A switch has come on. Something has clicked in my heart, in my spirit, and now I know who I am and I live from that place. I, start, I minister from that place. Everything I do is from that place. I'm a spiritual giant. Satan is a snail. Just us in, in a natural, we can crush him. As a spiritual giant, I obliterate him. In Jesus' name, amen. But some of us are still missing it. And how is this possible? How are we still sitting under this curse? Because we don't get it. We don't fully get what Jesus did at the cross. You see, we treat the cross as a dead end. We come to it time and time again for the forgiveness of sins. And we must. That is something we must do. But don't come to the cross, ask for forgiveness, turn around and walk away, sin again, come back, ask for forgiveness, turn around and walk away, come back. If you're stuck in that rut, you are exactly where the devil wants you to be. Exactly where the devil wants you to be. The blood of Jesus Christ does not only wash us clean. It rinses us and it empowers us. It gives us life. The very blood of Jesus gives us life and empowers us to keep walking victoriously. And yes, we're going we're gonna to mess up. And then we will come back to the cross. But when we come back to the cross, don't just think that your sins have been taken away. You are also getting the power to be victorious. You are getting the power to overcome. And then keep going. I actually wish to say that let's keep walking on a road and then there's a cross. Come for the forgiveness of sins. Come for the empowerment and keep going again. But don't go back. Don't go to this cross then go back. And, and I think too many of us are camping out here. And we're wallowing in our self-pity. I'm so, I'm so worthless. And yes, we are. We are pathetic and pitiful. Worthless. If you don't believe that, then there's something wrong. We need to know that we are nothing without God and we are nothing without the cross of Christ. But we are everything with it. We are everything and so much more. So let's start walking in that. If there was a pen and paper on every chair right now, and I said to you, just write down who you are for me. 
I'd expect to collect the papers in and I'd, you know, I'd get names and surnames and um, occupations and where you're from and you know, who you're married to and how many kids you have and all that kind of stuff. And I'd take them back and after I'd tear them up and throw them away, I'd say, take the second piece of paper on your, on your chair and write down who you really are. Who are you? What do you believe about yourself? And I might start to get things like, um, I struggle with depression, self-worth. I want to take my own life. I'm addicted to drugs, alcohol, pornography. And I just can't find the freedom. I'm on my third marriage. I battle to hold a relationship together. Struggling to keep my business afloat. How will I ever do it? There is never enough. I don't have enough. I have a life-threatening disease with little chance of survival. And I'd read these and I'd say, but didn't you in your first piece of paper say that you're a Christian? Didn't you say that you are a musician and you play in the band? Didn't you say you're a born-again Christian? If you did, then you've had the curse of Satan broken over your life. What are you doing still experiencing this stuff? You see, although we've been brought back by Jesus, the earth is still under Satan's dominion. And death and sin and sickness and disease, poverty, lack, depression, addiction, fear and broken relationships abound here on earth. Most of you will know that um, Satan brought disease against our family and um, because of that, does it mean that I'm not saved? Because, I, because we experience Something does it mean we're not saved? Does it mean that the power of the cross is no longer? Is it not for today? Does the blood of Jesus mean nothing anymore? Of course not. But it leaves us with a choice. Are we going to allow this thing to have dominion over us? It's going to come. These things are going to come. We live in a fallen world and they're going to jump on us. But are we going to allow them to have dominion over us? Which will happen if, we, if we're still if we're still lost, if we haven't come to the cross in the first place, this kind of stuff has authority over us. It rules over our lives. Or are we going to exercise our rights to become the children of God? And we've chosen the latter. And we have victory over it because we've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. But if we don't fully grasp the totality of what happened at the cross then the devil has us exactly where he wants us. And Paul knew this all too well. He wrote to the Colossians. He said, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, so you were once dead, you've now been reborn, raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. The realities of heaven. In other words, our reality is no longer here. Our reality is no longer here on earth. Our reality is in heaven. So we need to set our sights there, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. He reminds us that we've been raised to new life, born again, and as a result we should look to the realities of God's kingdom, not Satan's kingdom. Look to heaven, not to earth, because we're dead to this world and our new life is in Christ. Uh, at the risk of um, mixing metaphors once again, I've gone a little bit all over the place with will and road and all sorts, but 
I'm throwing one more out there. I'm trying to, to, to catch us all. I recently stumbled across the most expensive property ever sold in South Africa. This home in, in Bantry Bay on the Atlantic seaboard, it sold in 2016 for an eye-watering 290 million rand. Now, it was bought by a young German couple who listened to this. <clears throat> they were looking to buy a holiday home in Ibiza um, or Saint-Tropez on the French Riviera or just a small island in the Mediterranean Sea. But they settled on this one. They loved it. Uh, they loved the space. They loved the view and everything. And the seller actually uh, threw in, a, in that last pick there, he threw in a, a Porsche Cayenne and an Aston Martin DB9 just to sweeten the deal. I want to tell you that the redemptive plan of God buys us a plot that makes this thing look like an RDP house. And along with that, it lays the foundation and it even provides us with a cornerstone. That is Jesus. When we accept the will of God, we get the architect's plans for this house. And when we fully understand the finished work of the cross, we realize that he provides all the resources and all the materials for us to build. I want to challenge us this morning. Because I don't want to be part of a church that raises a community of plot owners. I want us to be house builders. What Jesus did on the cross doesn't just buy us salvation for one day. It doesn't just buy us forgiveness. It doesn't just buy us freedom here. It empowers us and we have heaven's resources available to us to build his kingdom here on earth today. Once again, we're going to come to the cross. But I want to ask you this morning as we do that, bear this in mind. Don't come just for the forgiveness of sins. Come for the empowerment to live victoriously. Come for the empowerment to overcome. This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message.